0: This is the podcast where Tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now let's hear from Tammy.
1: Have you heard the exciting news? On January 25th, 2023, Tammy Zonker is hosting her first annual and free virtual summit for you and 999 other fundraisers and nonprofit leaders. Transform 23, also known as Fundraising Transformation Virtual Summit is hyper-focused on equipping fundraisers everywhere to take your fundraising to the next, next level. We've put together 10 wow-packed sessions with you in mind, led by 10 incredible forward-thinking experts to help you transform your fundraising in 2023 and beyond. And a special shout-out to our transformation sponsor, The Giving Block. Now, here's the thing. While it's free for you to attend, spots are limited. So go to fundraisingtransform.com slash transform23 and save your spot
0: now. Today on the Intentional Fundraiser podcast, I'm talking with the one and only Hardy Smith. Hardy is an author of Amazon bestselling book, Stop the Nonprofit Board Blame Game. He's a consultant and a speaker, and in that role, he works with nonprofits, he works with associations, he works with chambers of commerce, all the groups and individuals who really want to benefit communities, who want to be positive and productive, and who need fully engaged boards. Hardy's results-focused approach was developed over a 30-year career in the high-performance world of NASCAR racing, and we'll come back to that. He is a member of the Association of Fundraising Professionals, the National Speakers Association, the Florida Society of Association Executives, Board Source, and the Association of Chamber of Commerce Executives. Lastly, Hardy is also a faculty member of the US Chamber of Commerce Foundation's Institute for Organizational Management. Support for this show is brought to you by Bloomerang. Our friends at Bloomerang really understand fundraisers, which is why they make donor management and online fundraising software that nonprofits love to use. To learn more and to join them in their vision of building a world inspired by giving, head over to bloomerang.com forward slash intentional fundraiser. Hardy, welcome to the show. Tammy, thank
1: you so very much. I've been looking forward to this visit for a long time, so I certainly appreciate a chance to uh, visit with you and, and share a little bit with
0: your listeners. Thank you. Well, we are the fortunate ones to hear from you. All right, Hardy, before we jump into the official questions, I have to ask, how does someone move from NASCAR racing to nonprofit consulting and public speaking?
1: That's a great question. Thank you, Tammy. I I get asked that quite a lot, from NASCAR to nonprofits. That's quite a jump. In my 30-year career in the world, high-performance world of NASCAR racing, Tammy, everything that I do now for nonprofits is what I did back in those days for NASCAR although NASCAR is not a not-for-profit for for sure. Problem solving, my one one or two sentence job description was recognize problems before they existed and make sure they don't happen. And if by any chance something slipped through the cracks and did pop up, make sure I find a solution and in a hurry. So I, I did that for NASCAR and motorsports all over the country for 30 years And at the same time, uh, both professionally and personally, I was very engaged with nonprofits, community groups, associations, chambers of commerce the entire time, again, all over the country. So I do come into all of this with a personal uh, passion for the work uh, being done by nonprofits and their very important causes. But also I come in. With a uh, a different mindset, a mindset of, of a pragmatic contrarian that uh, I think is positioned to be well for looking at situations that nonprofit organizations deal with differently. We'll probably get a little bit into that a little bit later.
0: Yes, indeed. You know, when you use that phrase, pragmatic contrarian, it reminds me, of course, of our dear mutual friend, Simone Joyo. And I understand that your book, Stop the Nonprofit Blame Game, How to Break the Cycle of Frustrating Relationships and Benefit from Fully Engaged Boards, that Simone was one of the people that you reached out to for input. Tell us a little bit about that special relationship and, and how Simone really made a difference for you.
1: Well, thank you. Simone Joyo was one of the most amazing. She's probably not not one of the, I think she was in a class by herself. She was, wow. there was Simone and then there's everybody else. Yes. I just enjoyed being around her and just learning from her and absorbing an energy recharge every time I'm in a, in a text or retweeting something she tweeted or just any time I had a chance to be connected to Simone, it was a huge battery upcharge in the power pack. But Simone, uh, I I had uh, made contact with over the years, and uh, she was always very gracious with her time. And I, I just felt like, again, she had that contrarian point of view, and she wasn't willing to accept things just the way they were, because to her, it wasn't good enough. Fundraisers, as a profession, weren't being treated right by the people they worked for, and they weren't treating themselves right either. Simone did agree to be one of my beta readers for the book In the process. So she was, her fingerprints are all over the book. And so she helped guide and direct the final outcome of, of where the book wound up. And having her endorse the book is something that very sincerely personally meaningful and special to me.
0: Yeah. So beautiful. And certainly she absolutely was in a class of her own and really made such a difference in the nonprofit sector in so many ways. And whether it was in front of a big room with all of her strength and just her, again, that contrarian, that disruptor passion, or whether it was as an encourager behind the scenes. I know she obviously made a difference for you. She made a difference for me and, and countless others. And she is sorely missed. Absolutely.
1: I think I think you may have just come up with a new term, disruptive encourager. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, Tammy, she, she was a disruptor and took great pride in that, made a career of being a disruptor, but it had a purpose. It wasn't just... Creating mayhem to create mayhem. There was a definite purpose to it. There was a point she was trying to make. And at the same time, she was encouraging and encouraging to a lot of people. There is, I have met so many people. This book process has been so interesting. I've met so many people across the country. They look at the book and then turn it over on the back cover and they see Simone's name. Oh, you you know Simone. And then that starts. Simone's
0: story sharing. It's just great. Oh, I love it. All right. So let's kind of unpack the book a bit. I read the book. I think it's wonderful, so wise, and I love the structure of the book. I mean, you introduce concepts, you ask questions, you tell stories, and then there are action steps. It's a very actionable book to really raise the performance of your board, but really how to raise the performance of your organization, because it is truly a partnership. So let's just unpack that. Tell us what you mean when you say the nonprofit board blame game.
1: That is such a great story, and it's a favorite of mine of just where in the heck did all this get started. At a speaking event, had about 100 nonprofit CEO-level leaders in a room. For me, uh, Tammy, I I know you do a lot of speaking and training and presenting. For me, I was not running out of time. I was running out of script And, (laughs) and with time on the clock. And, which is very unusual. Usually I'm trying to squeeze. And uh, I figured, well, okay, let me let me think real quick on my feet. Okay, I know, I know. Let me just ask, let's have audience participation. Let me just ask, what's your number one problem? And I'm thinking, okay, we'll have a problem. I'll pick one and then we'll all work together to, to solve what I am without exaggeration, Tammy. The room just yells back at me. It's the board members. Why don't board members do what they're supposed to? So just imagine the choir leader, the director in front of the choir and orchestrating something, you know, in front of the orchestra. And it was like the whole thing was rehearsed and it wasn't. Mm. There was so much energy from that initial response, I I actually took a step back. It was, whoa. And then the room went silent and they all started looking at each other. They realized they all had the same number one problem. They probably all knew it, but they just hadn't, it hadn't really come to focus, you know, front of mind thinking. That was the second, there was the, that initial burst of, wow, this is something big. And then that moment of silence was something big. And then I ask, well, are these people that you're whose performance is being criticized, do they know it? And are you asking or are you telling them? And it is like uh, more silence. I said, "Oh, well there is three big things I have got to sort out." And I started a very very crude Totally non-scientific, and I, I say that in the book. I am not an academic. I'm not a certified researcher. I, I just did this the way I did it, and I, I'm totally transparent about that. So I, I reached out. I said, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a search." I, I knew enough people uh, across the country who were served on nonprofit boards, so not asking staff, asking board members. Here's the question why don't board, why don't you as a board member, what do you think the answer is to why don't board members do what they're supposed to do? Open-ended email question, not even survey monkey or anything sophisticated like that at all. And so I got back all these responses, open-ended responses, and Tammy, of course the words were different, but the meaning was the same. And they outlined, I started, I just like laid these all out in the Kitchen floor and the dining room floor and everything are all over the house, and I started look. Look at this. Look, they're all saying the same thing. I said, "Holy smoke!" So there's another golden nugget there. And then in being able to to put all that into a chart and a matrix, and wow, one of the key things and where the blame game comes from is the realization that the on all the what's been written and used his training curriculum uh in, in, in speaking about the lack of performance by board members uh, and all the complaints and the angst that nonprofit leaders have about board members. Wow. You know what? The board members have an equal amount of frustration about their board service experience. Mm-hmm. And that's what they were communicating to me. And that's why good board members are turning off. And they just really outlined for me all the contributing influences about that that make the board experience not so good. So that's where the thought came from. And I got to credit my book cover designers at Greenleaf for coming up with the pointed fingers and the blame game and the wording and all of that. But so good marketing, right? But the I, the concept of, wow, it's more than the board members not doing what they're supposed to do. It's the nonprofit leaders themselves making mistake after mistake in the relationships with their board members and insisting on kind of a rinse and repeat on air quotes, best practices that don't work, have never worked and are not going to work. But that's what the sector insists on doing. So that's what has created uh, the very positive response that I never would have thought about in advance that the book has generated is, wow, this is something different.
0: Incredible. And you're right. I feel like we judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge others by their actions. And for that reason, it's not us, it's them. Right. And they, well, absolutely. You're, you're not going to say,
1: well, we're not we're, we're not raising enough money. We're not meeting our mission. We're not feeding enough hungry people or taking care of enough uh, abandoned dogs or, or, you know, whatever it is. Or we're not saving enough air. It, well, it can't be my fault because um, I'm working hard. Exactly. Uh, other people.
0: So some of the frustrating experiences that you enumerate in the book that drive board member disengagement includes like just poor communication. Absolutely. Expecting too much, which makes me wonder if expectations were not clear in the recruitment process. That is a very
1: compelling thought. In both communicate and communication, by the way, is the number one cause for disengagement, broken relationships. And if you stop and think about it, I'm 100%, I never miss my my predicted answer on this question I'm going to ask you is in a long-term personal relationship if there' are men in the room I say guys look don't try to answer this question because you'll hurt yourself <laughs> ladies let's just see if we can teach the guys something so in a long-term successful relationship what is the number one most essential element without fail communication
0: communication.
1: communication right ding, ding. and And then what's the most important part of good communication? Good listening. So, And that's what the board members are telling me. So how does that break down? In recruiting, my experience uh, shows me, Tammy, that number one, a lot of the reasons that our boards aren't functioning the way we want them to function is you got the wrong people. And I'll share a little bit more about that later. But In the asking, in the prospecting part, are you truly communicating? Are you communicating what the expectation is, what the ask is, and then stopping to listen long enough for the person to either say they understand, they agree, they accept, or are you listening long enough and well enough to hear them say, here are the reasons why I appreciate your offer to be on your board, but it wouldn't be a good mix for me at this particular point in time. A lot of times, because we don't put enough forethought and effort into our board recruiting, we're pushing to fill a seat and we're pushing to get whoever we can get. The first yes we come across, bingo, I I got one. I can cross that off the list. We're not really paying attention to what it is we want the board member to do. And so as long as we get somebody to yes, we don't really care if they're qualified. Now, let me share a disclaimer here. I know they're good board members. I know they're good boards. They do great things. Not everybody is in this conundrum of dysfunctional mess that I keep alluding to. However, enough of a significant number of nonprofits are in this conundrum, and that's why it's such a problem. You know, you, you've you got to listen. And the communication part of that is so important. One of the reasons we don't take time to listen and we don't take time in our communications to fully, as you suggested, explain what the expectations are. You know what the, one of the top reasons is? What? I give you this list of expectations, Tammy, and you might tell me no. <laughs> so I'd rather get you to yes. And I'd rather get you to an I do at the altar. And then after the I do and the cake and all the ceremonies and the reception, then I start talking about the expectations I have for our
0: relationship.
1: Now, how do you think that works out?
0: Yeah, like, hey, not what I signed up for. That's exactly right. Mm, Yeah. You know, especially as we focus more and more, and rightfully so, on recruiting diverse board members being inclusive and uh, diverse boards and looking at equity and accessibility and all of those important things. So often we fill those seats, right? So we're not just looking for expertise and skills and influence, but these other experiences, lived experiences. And so we feel like we check those boxes. So we've recruited diverse experiences, diverse ideas, and it goes back to the not listening, but then we don't we don't listen to them, right? Because we're on a consent agenda. We gotta move on. We only have 20 more minutes before our bird meeting is over. And so yeah, it's it's really sad because I I truly believe in my heart that board members sign up with the very best intentions to make a difference. Mm-hmm. We recruit knowing that they have something powerful to contribute, and we so need them. And then we end up in this, you know, dysfunctional relationship and it's not serving anyone, especially those who are participating in our programs and services. And it's just wrong. It's just wrong. Absolutely. That's tweetable. It's just wrong. <laughs> and, and Simone would appreciate
1: that. And she would add, damn it, or something like that on the end of it. <laughs> Think about this. Yes, on exactly. 100% on target with those things that that you want a board and board members to achieve right well you know what they want the same thing that you want they want the mission to succeed they want to make the cause happen they want to raise all the money that 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 they can help you raise they want they want all of that right and board members are volunteers and we tend to forget that so and if you think about it, especially at the local level Tammy Think about who those board members are as individuals. They're probably five-star recruits. I'm too much of a sports fan. So they they are probably five-star blue-chip recruits. And they are the busiest, most successful people in your community and whatever activity they're involved in. They don't volunteer their time lightly. And whatever they commit to, they are committed. They're in. And they're there to make a difference. Now and have a true impact. Now, if you get the best and the think about this, you get the best and the brightest talents and 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 caring and and minds in your community, those individuals that are in that category, and you are restricting them, muzzling their creativity, their thoughts, their ideas, their ability to solve problems. You're muzzling them by consent agenda, consent agenda, consent agenda. Oh, we started exactly at the top of the hour. We're gonna end come hell or high water at the top of the hour. And that is it. There's no time for discussion. There's no time for questions. There's no time for challenging, which board members should be doing. There's no time for board members to do what they ought to be doing. Then what's their thought gonna be? It's going to be, why am I even here? They don't need me. I've got ideas. I've got strategic value. But I'm not being used for what I bring to the table. I'm being used to check the box on an agenda approval on a rubber stamping reports that somebody could have sent those to me and I could have read them in a few minutes. We're missing the opportunity to use our board members as high value assets.
0: Yes, yes. And the ripple effect of that is tragic. What are some of your ideas for how we can reimagine board governance and really equipping and empowering that board member, executive leadership team partnership?
1: Well, number one is from an executive team standpoint, you've got to recruit board members with intentionality. When I speak and and I write, I talk about recruiting board members with purpose and process. So you've got to know what the, ex- back to your earlier thought, you've got to know what the expectation is. What are the skills that you need? What are, What are, is the experience that you need? And, and all of that changes. So at the end of 2022, early 23, as we go into a next year and some kind of something, economically is forecast. Who knows what that's going to be? We just came out of the worst health thing that we've dealt with in our several generations of lifetimes. So we keep evolving through these different situations. The challenges that nonprofits, I want to get to, is the challenges nonprofits are dealing with is constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. So the skill set you need, the, the talents that you need, It needs to be constantly evaluated. So the board makeup that you had on your team five years ago or 10 years ago may highly likely need to be different five months from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. So just everything that everybody brings to the table. So from a recruiting standpoint, you've got to be aware of that. You've got to recruit in advance, have a pool of potential board candidates and you may have people that aren't even a part of your organization yet but can you have enough foresight to look into the future wow you know that that Tammy Zunker she's a young professional in our community she's really coming on and you know what she's not on any other board right now not like the rest of everybody else that they're on five or 10 different boards all at one time and she can make us her number 1 Right, and so let's start kind of getting her attracting her. I coached youth basketball for for a number of years. Had a lot of fun doing that. The players we had were were middle school boys, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Listen, we played. If you watch the any of the basketball tournaments over the holidays from Disney Wide World of Sports, with those top name teams, we we played on that very same court at Disney Wide World of Sports with these little kids, college coaches were there recruiting six grade year old boys for several years down the road. So why not do that with board members? So my example of that an awesome Tammy Zonker. So let's, let's kind of, maybe let's introduce her. Let's invite her to a fundraiser as a friend. Let's introduce her, get her recruited as a volunteer all the time, having in mind she is a future board member, and hey, you know what? She could be a future board chair, board president. Mm-hmm. So that intentionality is so
0: important. Our friends at Bloomering know the importance of year-end fundraising to a nonprofit's longevity and success throughout the year. We know that 50% of nonprofits receive a majority of their annual contributions from October to December. To learn how you can make the most of this giving season, head over to bloomerang.com forward slash intentional-fundraiser to get your copy of the 13 year-end fundraising tips.
1: Also understand too, another tip for our professional leaders here. Your, your board members all think if you visualize your if everyone right now uh, on the podcast could visualize um, their next board meeting, you've got your board seated around the room. Visualize those faces. Every single face represents a different and unique personality, a different and unique personality reference for how they choose to be communicated with. So are you taking enough time to understand how, we talked about how important communication is and it's good communication, effective communication, not just more emails, not just more reports, but it's gotta be good and effective. So are you taking enough time as, as a nonprofit executive director or CEO to individually know your board members and know what their communication preferences are. Do they prefer information in advance, a quick phone call, a personal visit? You know, because we create you know so much angst a lot of times around board meetings. And and okay, well, how can you make the board meetings better? Another tip is to reimagine as you ask reimagine the board meetings itself. How can you make it more productive? Before that is how can you make it so that your board meetings are a turn on, not a turn off? Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, I've got five choices of different meetings I could be at at eight o'clock in the morning on any day of the week. So am I going, I know I'm a board member, I'm supposed to be there, but I'm making a choice. Do I wanna go to the board meeting where my voice won't be heard it, it won't matter if i'm there or not or am i going to go to the board meeting where my voice will be heard i can ask my questions and oh by the way there's time for some social activity i can see my good friend tammy and we can we can catch up on our grandkids so you know all of that is so important how can you make your meetings a not to be missed meeting And one more tip about effective meetings, Tammy, make the meetings strategically focused meetings. So my suggestion is in your strategic plan, just because I can do easy math here with with the numbers, let's just say that you have six priority action items, six priority goals in your plan and your board meets uh, on an average of once a month. So that's 12 meetings a month. You have six goals. Every other month, shift the order of your agenda so that you're allowing 15, 20 minutes to discuss one of your six. And I'm right on the math so far. So that would, you can cover the entire 12 months in six of your priority goals. You can get progress reports. You can find out, are we on track? Are we hitting our targets? Do we need to adjust? Is there something else we need to do? But now all of a sudden, you've got a strategic purpose for coming to that particular meeting. Does that make sense?
0: I love that, Hardy. And I love that not only, yes, staff can present on, are we on target? Are we behind? How's it going? But a good portion of that 20-minute time block or whatever time is allocated should be generative, right? Inviting those board members to ask questions, to share their thoughts, their perspective from their unique position in life and their worldview. And I think that that really speaks to uh, some of the reasons that board members often become disengaged. Gosh, I never really get to share. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. So. Those are some really great tips that I think if we, you know, I hope folks were taking notes or will download this episode and take notes and maybe even share this episode with some of your executive leadership teams and maybe even your governance. I mean, I really believe that, you know, the right board makeup really does start with the board nominating and the board development committee, right? Like really, as you said at the top of this episode, identifying Who do we need? What do we have? What are the gaps? And I love your suggestion to essentially try before you buy, right? Have them volunteer on a committee, invite them to that that event and get to know them and see, do they show up? Are they passionate? Do Mm -hmm. they have a unique perspective, a point of view that we need to hear that furthers the mission? Those are brilliant suggestions. Two more questions for you. Uh, One, I mean, as you alluded to, we've been navigating some really challenging times and it does appear there's more challenges coming in the years ahead. What advice do you have for boards and executive leadership teams on adapting to meet these new challenges? You touched on it a bit, but could you go a little deeper?
1: Absolutely. I think the, the question that needs to be in front of staff, needs to be in front of the board, and then needs to be in front of staff and board collectively is what if, just what if. I see the reports and the headline is, you know, I get the news alerts like probably you do and every other professional does about what's happening with, with charitable fundraising, what's happening with volunteering, what's happening, you know, in the world of the sector. And I see those. And you know about uh, just depending on what time of the day it is, what day it is, the headlines on the same topics are always different. So is charitable giving up? Is it down? Is it the same? What is it? Well, I think the truth somewhere in all there is just depending on the crisis, charitable giving, philanthropic giving may be up for some categories, but down for others. So it's not that they're new dollars that are being infused because of a crisis situation, they're being redirected. So what if? What if there is an economic downturn? So many issues that the nonprofit sector deals with, right? Especially in social services. So if your cause is maybe environmental, if the economy is in in a downturn and unemployment goes high and people don't have you know they're really needing, and then we we all we've we found out the the mental health and the stress and all those things keep keep ratcheting up. You know, so if all that happens that way, it's highly likely that charitable giving will shift to those human service need causes. Well, does that mean my donation now goes from saving the planet? to saving people. So if you're one of the saving the planet organizations what if how are you going to deal with that? Yeah. And I think we we probably saw that during the the height of the the covid pandemic that shifting. So what if? Uh just keep this up, you know, the question simple, what if and are you ready to adapt? How do what is it we need to do differently? What challenges do we face? What obstacles do we face? And what are our solutions? Not just, you know, chicken little woe is me, because you got to survive. And so how do you survive? What do we need to do? How do we need to be prepared?
0: Absolutely. I love that. And, you know, Bridgespan has a lot of what-if scenario planning tools free for nonprofits on their website. So I encourage folks to go check those out. But I'm, like you, a big fan of scenario planning. And our boards really need, I mean, boards should focus on governance, staff should focus on management. And there's a role in what if scenario planning in both of those spaces, and they must correlate. Absolutely. So good, so good. All right, so my fundraising friends and listeners would never forgive me if I didn't ask you this question, Hardy, and I bet you can guess what it is. How do we best ensure 100% board giving and participation in some form of fundraising? Understanding that one size does not fit all.
1: We've got like three days left in the <laughs> podcast. I'm looking at the clock, so if I can answer in the context of when I share this answer and share my opinions, it, Tammy, it's based on direct solicitation. So I know that obviously there are a number of ways board members can be productively uh, engaged in in, in fundraising. I, I know that. So the answer I'm going to share with you is in the direct solicitation, the personal giving aspect. That's where I see we really, the sector makes a big mistake, in my opinion. And I think what happens is, and this creates a whole lot of frustration. Uh, money is is just um, uh, not the root of all evil. Money is the root of a lot of frustration for the nonprofit world when dealing with board members. So here we go. The big mistake is assuming that just because someone is on your board, they are automatically committed to direct solicit others for money. Now, when I say assume, it's because you, I'm gonna walk this back. In the recruitment Phase of our relationship in the dating phase, we didn't have that conversation about expectations. I did not mention a word about fundraising or direct giving at a significant level because why? Again, you might say, no, I'm going to wait again till I do at the altar. And now I'm going to pop this on you at the first meeting. That's kind of like bait and switch. Yeah. And you know what? In the world of marketing and advertising, if if I'm trying to sell you a new car or a house or a refrigerator or an appliance, that's bait and switch advertising. It's illegal. You could go to jail for that. But in the nonprofit world, have the conversation. Just have it. Just ask. Just let them know. Our board has decided or has committed to, for each board member, to raise X number, X amount of money or what you know, whatever it is, but have that expectation and just have the conversation. Please be open and transparent. If your board prospect isn't comfortable with it, doesn't agree with it, for whatever the reason is, they'll tell you. And then you both can, okay, well, thank you for listening. And we'll both move on. And that's fine. So that's the biggest challenge that I see is assuming just because someone is a member of your board, they're supposed to function as an ATM. I've got personal issues with that. But if the board all agrees to it, you know, you can't just declare, okay, everybody on the board is now going to go raise $10,000 or going to give $10,000 and there was no discussion, no conversation likely that you're going to lose a whole lot of people. But just have the expectation, put it out there, and have a conversation. That will get you a much better result. And here's, here's another part. If you want fundraisers, get fundraisers. It's a time and time, again, proven fact. That the majority of people, think about the people around your room, back to that mental board meeting, the majority of people do not like asking anyone else for money. They don't They don't want to ask their relatives. They don't want to ask friends, neighbors, business customers. They don't want to do it. So how is it you figure that just because somebody's on your board, they're willing to do something they don't want to do? So it's so important if you want fundraisers, get fundraisers. How do you know that? Oh, maybe in the recruiting process and the vetting. You know, we the world of fundraising is great at doing donor research. I suggest in the book, and I explain how to do this, but apply the same discipline of a donor research specialist own potential board members, the same same scouting out process, right? So, what's their history? You can tell their history of giving. You can tell pretty easily their history of being involved in fundraising and other activities. So then you have that homework done. You have the conversation to back that up. You know, are you comfortable with this? Do you have experience doing this? Um, it's kind of like those HR type questions, and you have that question. But here's something that's important. Good fundraisers are not automatically good board members. So I'm going to channel a little bit of Simone Joyo here. Um, <laughs> she would tell you, uh, and it's, it, it, I've used some of her quotes in my book, you know, the role, the, the number one role of board members is not to be a fundraiser, it's about good governance. So it may be, that someone who is a great A, top-level fundraiser doesn't need to be on your board to help you raise money. You may have a different group of of ambassadors or supporters or or something that helps you raise money. I know a lot of people that are extremely good, very good fundraisers. Whatever they touch is going to be the most successful activity ever. But they'll tell you they're never coming to a board meeting. They're not going to read those minutes. They're not going to pay. But you know what? They are personally legally liable for everything a board does or doesn't do. They're on the board. And it's going to be hard to be in court and explain, oh, I didn't come to those meetings. Well, your name's on the list. So you're part of that board. So think about that. If you want fundraisers, get good fundraisers.
0: Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. And I think that when we, it goes back to having clarity about what is the board makeup, not every board member needs to be a solicitor. Right. But every board member needs to give a gift. And from my perspective, a gift that is personally significant to them and their circumstances.
1: Absolutely. Just have a conversation in advance. And it co- goes back to communication. No surprises.
0: No surprises. But you know, that common sense is not always common practice. And I think that we need to bring the common sense and the common practice together. All right. Hardy, you're amazing. Thank you. (laughs) At the end of each episode, I like to ask a few rapid fire questions to provide even just a little bit more value to our listeners. So I have some for you. You ready? Fire away. All right. What's the best fundraising advice you've ever received? No doubt. No doubt it's all about them. Mm, amen. What book do you recommend to our audience beyond your book and why? Um, I think the timing
1: is really good for this question. And I, I'll, I will share Think Again by Adam Grant. Yeah, Because everything we we've been talking about really relates to encouraging the world of nonprofits to think again on how they approach their relationships with board members.
0: So good. Love that book. What are the three most important traits a successful fundraising professional must possess?
1: Perseverance. You've got to be good at relationship building. You've got to be an excellent communicator. And lastly, you've got to be good at follow-up.
0: Yes, good at follow-up. Absolutely. All three of those. What's your favorite fundraising tool? Or application? I don't
1: personally use any applications or fundraising tools, but I would recommend that any serious fundraiser, any serious nonprofit who wants to raise significant money has got to be able to have a good, dependable CRM uh, platform that they can use to collect that data, which is so, so important. You know, the, the world of nonprofits is just, horrendous at donor retention and so many nonprofits who are in the event business literally start over every single time they do an fundraising event. They can't tell you who bought tickets, who the sponsors were, who attended the last event and with the turnover rate for in the fundraising world profession sector in about 18 months, there's really good chance from one event to the next that institutional memory is gone. So good data.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's just not a way to live to manage all of this on Excel spreadsheets. Right. (laughs) Uh, What's your favorite conference or ongoing learning tool over your long career?
1: Especially related to fundraising, no doubt, Planet Philanthropy in Florida. Uh, yeah. put on by AFP Florida.
0: Yeah. I, we've both spoken at that conference before. It's very, very good. Yes. Knowing what you know about fundraising now, what advice would you give your younger self just getting started in the profession?
1: Ooh, that's tough. Cause I'm, I'm, I hopefully I'm a little bit smarter now than, than, than <laughs> then. Although there, there are those who would say, um, <laughs> I, mean, I think Get a clear understanding of what's involved and understand that easy isn't always best. Mm -hmm. Um, And finally, look for a place to work where true fundraising professionalism is understood, valued, and appreciated. Mm -hmm. And that's a tip of the hat to Simone.
0: Yes. Amen all right hardy thank you for joining us what a wonderful conversation
1: thank you so very much i really appreciate the opportunity thank you tammy
0: yeah our pleasure if you want to learn more about hardy and his book stop the Nonprofit board blame game we've included links to that book in today's show, as well as links to other resources that we've talked about today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast. Keep on transforming your fundraising so you can transform the world. Thank you to our friends at Bloomerang for supporting this episode. Learn why fundraisers love using Bloomerang and grab your copy of the 13 year-end fundraising tips ebook at bloomerang.com forward slash intentional fundraiser. The link is in the show notes. That's it for this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser podcast. If you like this podcast, subscribe and download each episode on your favorite podcast platform. Share it on social media with the hashtag, The Intentional Fundraiser, and tag me, Tammy Zonker, and you'll be entered into a drawing for some great swag, books, and courses. And if you like today's show, you might also be interested in becoming a member of my Fundraising Transformer community where I go live twice a month with my members with fundraising training and group coaching to help transform those fundraising issues that keep you awake at night where I pull back the curtain on how you can take your fundraising results to the next level by teaching ways you can improve your development operations, create a results-driven, donor-centric development plan, strengthen donor relationships, improve your donor retention rates, and build a raging monthly giving program and a successful major gifts program and how you can approach each day to ensure you'll perform at your highest level so you can be the best fundraiser and the best person you can possibly be. You can learn more about becoming a member at fundraisingtransform.com forward slash transformers. Thank you for showing up and for having the courage and determination to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. Bye for now.